0: Block Talk Radio. Research at the National Archives and Beyond blog talk radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest, and I see wonderful guests in the chat room today, please sign in through your Facebook account or blog, Talk Radio. Well, it's coming October 1st, A Place Called Desire. Now, this is a show, and it's a special show, and I am just so excited about it. And I'm so happy that Leonard Smith, producer, genealogist, author, will share with us a unique project to chronicle the story of an African-American community located in the Upper Ninth Ward of New Orleans, Louisiana, called Desire. Leonard Smith has worked tirelessly to interview residents of this community to capture the essence of what it meant, for African-American families to become homeowners after World War II in one of the first communities designated for returning veterans. In addition, this self-contained community of Schools and grocery stores and theaters and religious institutions provided the opportunity for the residents to develop a strong bond with their humble beginnings. This community was devastated by major events such as Hurricane Betsy's and Katrina, the Louisiana Agriculture Landfill Class Action Suit, and the Black Panther Shootout. While these events made major headlines, the community produced educators, business leaders, healthcare professionals, judges, attorneys, CEOs of major corporations, and many, many more. The Kickstarter p- p- campaign will provide the needed funds to bring this story to life. So let me welcome. My special friend, genealogist and producer, Leonard Smith, to discuss A Place Called Desire. Welcome, Leonard.
1: Wow, thank you for the introduction, Bernice, uh, and thank you for having me on your show.
0: Well, Leonard, I am just so excited about this project And we talk about genealogy, and we talk about oral histories, and most of the time it's about what's happening in your family. But you're taking this to another level. So tell us the connection between genealogy and what you're doing with a place called desire.
1: Well, you know, uh, Bernice, it's – It's been a project of mine that I've had uh, for a while, actually, after I did the uh, documentary on Miss Yvonne Bush. Um, This was kind of going to be the second part of that because uh, she taught at Culver High School, which is in the Desire community. And, of course, as time goes on, you know, other projects come around and you don't get a chance to finish it. So uh, back in 2008, myself and Valencia Hawkins, um, who was the librarian at the public library at the time, um, she's the associate producer for this project. And what we decided to do is actually tell the story of the community that we grew up in. And so it's, it's actually telling still my story, my genealogy, my family history, because so much of my family was involved in this community. Um, you know, we moved there in 1964, uh, but my grandmother, um, who lived around a car from us was there since 1955. And it's a community that uh, a lot of people have always heard things about it, but it has never never have always been on the positive side. It's always been negative, you know, negativity about, you know, desire this, desire that. And, you know, it's time for us to really tell the story from the inner inside, looking out. And so what I've decided to do is actually interview the individuals and let the community tell the story. And it's been um, <laughs> very exciting because there's been – You know, stories that I didn't know about, of course, I've done a lot of research on the community, but as you talk to individuals, you'd be surprised at all of the stories that you may not have known yourself that comes out. And, of course, as you verify these things, it it becomes another story, another chapter in the documentary.
0: And have you found that people really can remember way back when this community was Forming to become the community that it is today?
1: Well, you know, uh, I have interviewed <laughs> a 94-year-old, a 95-year-old, and a 96-year-old. And it's amazing that they all basically told the same story, but from their point of view. And that is what amazes me is that uh, in spite of the, the years that have gone by, they always remembered their life and living in desire and how it plays such an important role in their their life. And so it, it's it's a, a good story. You know, I have some younger people as well and, and myself in that 60 group um, that we talk about growing up in the 60s and 70s in desire. But those pioneers, those who started when the community started, you know, back in uh, 1945, um still knows or remembers when they purchased the house, how much they paid for it, what it was like living there. There was no streets. There were no lights. And what they had to do, there was no running water in some cases because they hadn't put the plumbing in the houses yet. And so the stories are just so interesting to me, and I know that as people get to hear the stories of Desire, they'll say, wow, what a community.
0: That's right, and I wonder, for, for people that come to New Orleans, is this like the forgotten community, or they never knew about this community?
1: Well, you know, considering the amount of people that was back there in the 60s and 70s, at, at one time it probably peaked up to close to 20,000 people. Um, and to say that that's a big part of the city, um, other than the negativity that we actually heard in the press, Nobody really knew about desire. You know, um, as you mentioned in the introduction of all the different um, people that have come out of desire, success stories, and, you know, people from, from actually every walk of life um, have actually ventured there in, in, in desire, and they got their start in desire. You know, we we can go on and talk about the, the names that you may hear all the time, like Marshall Falk, who, you know, he, he prepped at Culver. You know, you had uh, Pam Giles, who was uh, listed as the fastest woman in the world. Uh, in the '70s, in the Olympics, you won a silver medal in the Olympics. Uh, Arnold Donald, who's the CEO of Carnival Cruise Line, you may hear those stories, but there's other stories as well, and and people who, in everyday people who who've actually never had a voice to tell their story, and that's one of the reasons why we decided to do this because we want everyone to have a voice. Um, people who would normally not be heard will be heard in this documentary.
0: That is so true. And, you know, Leonard, when I, when I think about that particular community and I think of just so many communities throughout America that you never hear the stories. And so you're kind of the prototype, really, to help people understand that while we talk about telling the stories of our family, we just need to think about, well, wait a minute, our families grew up in the context of what was going on in that community also.
1: That's right. That's right. And, you know, desire was very unique, uh, and not just because I came from there, but let me say is that the trends that I'm seeing around the country about the playing communities, we had that in desire, you know, where you didn't have to leave the community for anything. We had, you know, we had medical care. We had um, pharmaceutical companies. Well, I should say drugstores. We had um, shopping we had food trucks, which is big doings now. We had food trucks back then with no problem. We had a lot of people, had, well, entrepreneurs who actually sold from their houses, you know, frozen cuck, uh, well, we call them huckabucks back then. Um, but they also sold candies and and And, 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 and you know, so we had all, all of that that now you see in other communities that, you know, around the country that's in the suburbs. And they say, oh, well, we want to have it where you can go to school from, kindergarten all the way up to high school. Well, we had that at Culver, you know, and we also had other schools around in the community. You know, we had Moton, we had Dunn, you know, and so it was a community that was intact, but of course it was by design that it was intact and maybe not all for the right reasons, but it did function for us who lived within that community.
0: Right, it really did function for the people in the community, and I have to, to tell everybody, for full disclosure, I grew up in the community, so I know what Leonard is talking about. And right now, I mean, the bond is very, very strong. Leonard mentioned Carver, so tell us about Carver and what you're picking up as far as people and how they feel about that high school.
1: Well, you know what I did, which I think may be a little unique uh, in this documentary, is that I formed a private group on Facebook, and we close to a thousand people. And, and basically, I, I kind of screened everybody to make sure that they had some ties to the community. And so it's amazing the stories that I'm hearing from Culver. You know, Carver was built in 1958, as I said, before the community started in '45. But even before '45, there was a community there, and it was a lot. Actually, it was squatters. A lot of squatters were there because um, it was it was a swamp. It was you know, it was a cypress swamp. And as time went on, the developers said, "Oh well, we can do something with this," and you know, it, it became the first place where um, the returning veterans, black veterans, could come and actually purchase a home. And it, it, you know, looking in the, the local newspaper, I've researched some of the old articles, and they they would say stuff like, um, "Hello, uh, hello, colored man, if you like to be part of history, come check out the houses that," and he gave the address and that type of stuff. Well, that was the desire community. So, this was 1945, and as I talked to the elders, they always mentioned about their husbands were veterans, and that's why they came and they wanted home ownership. And and in New Orleans, there was no other locations per se that you could have home ownership if you were African American. And so Culver became a big piece of the community. It was um, a school that had elementary, which was Helen S. Edwards. You had Culver Jr. and then you had Culver Sr. So you can go from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade to high school on one campus, Culver sat on sixty acres, and so it was a very interesting school. I enjoyed going there. Um, my, to give you an example, my graduating class had five hundred, but we had other classes that may have been six or seven hundred classes. I mean, six or seven hundred people that graduated, and so it was a school that, you know, was involved. A lot. we had a great band, had great football, we had great academics. You know, we had a lot of folks that went off to do. You know, big and better things like becoming judges and attorneys, and you know, engineers, and you name it. We have the whole gamut that came out of that community.
0: Right, not to mention the the teachers and the support oh, that. Oh yeah, we had uh,
1: edu- educators. That's right. We we had some of the best, and and I will definitely vouch for that. We had some of the best educators in the country, and also definitely in the city, um, because they cared. There was those were the educators that really cared for you know, your well-being, it wasn't just about, you know, going to college, they prepared you for life, and, you know, we had, of course, we all have those special teachers, but, you know, in my case, it was a Mr. Hoover and, 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 and Miss Bush, um, but, and I guess Miss Bush, because we spent so much time in the band that, you know, we were year-round in New Orleans, of course, you got Mardi Gras and all that, so you're always practicing, and, you know, we always, as a As a unit, the band, even to this day, we're like a fraternity, a sorority that, you know, probably some of my best friends out of high school was in that band.
0: That's right. And and what a wonderful uh, memory about being a part of the Rams, the band. Uh, But you know what? Also, you had a lot of parental involvement. The parents right. were involved in what was going on in the school, and they encouraged the uh, the kids to be involved. But this was also an interesting community because it was like a walking community. People walked That's right. a lot. <laughs>
1: they <laughs> walked right. blocks.
0: You know, no such, yeah. no such thing as taking a school bus if you lived in the Desire area. You walked to school.
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, again, back to some of the elders, they mentioned about the fact that there was no bus service when they first got there, so they had to walk. What we used to call up front, and once they got up front, they would actually have to catch the the uh, Desire Street streetcar that was up front, and that's kind of like where the name came from as well—a place called Desire because, you know, streetcar named Desire, um they had the, the bus named Desire, and it, there was a street in Desire called Desire Parkway in, in Desire Street, and so, but a lot of them spoke of the fact that they had to walk, and you know, a lot of people didn't have cars, and Early on, if you had a car, you probably would have problems because there was no paved streets. There was a lot of mud. When it rained, and, of course, New Orleans, it always rained. So um, they talk about, you know, even the taxi cab would not come back there on a rainy day.
0: Wow. But the people managed to get around somehow.
1: That's right. That's
0: right. Well, now, you mentioned something about a newspaper article. But tell us, I mean, because you know, we're doing genealogy and you're talking about the history of the community, what does it take for you to gather information about the community to put in this documentary?
1: Well, you know, what what happens is and and this is the hardest part is that because of Betsy and, and Hurricane Katrina, a lot of the images and the pictures that people would have had, you know, had shared with me in order to produce this documentary are all gone now and so this kickstarter campaign is the we in the development stage right now and what it is is I've done some research to find that there are images out there to give you example if I wanted to use a image of the Times-Picayune article that covered the New Orleans police and the Black Panthers those images to use in a documentary costs anywhere from $250 on up per image. If I wanted to use a headline that was in the the newspaper and use their ad, that costs as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Even archival footage, I've actually checked into, there's some archival footage of incidents that happened in Desire. And to give you an example, that cost is $20 per second. So you can imagine a second goes mighty quick. (laughs) And so... Um, these are all the costs that we are, have associated with doing a documentary that you know, a lot of people don't you know, kinda of take for granted. You can't just grab pictures that you see off the internet and say, I'm gonna put this in my documentary, that would be great, but all of that costs. And so in order for me to give the best story tell the best story, I need images to support what's being said by the people who I'm interviewing. And as, you know, they talk about the the dirt, the dirt roads and all that stuff you know, it'd be great to have a picture of a dirt road there so you can see, and it is in desire. You know, as some filmmakers, you may see images where they'll use an image from another location, um, but it it still talks about the same subject, so they'll use it that way. But I kind of prefer using images that associate with the community that I'm, I'm talking about. That gives it more credibility, I think. And so it's just a cost associated with all of this, and that's that's one of the biggest pieces of doing this is that, um, you know, we are halfway into the development stage. I think I've interviewed m- now well over 40 people. And, you know, of course, there's others that I have on my my my, my top list, and then there's other people that I know I, I would want to interview, you know, because as we talk, I have conversation in the the Facebook page, a group, there's always conversations about, oh, did you know so-and-so? And, and it's like, okay, wow, let me, let's me let talk a little bit more about that story. And then next thing you know, oh, well, that's my uncle or that's my aunt. And so that's all part of the genealogy part of it as well because these are family stories that may ne- have never been told. Even family members may not know about them. And so as you do research and you, you go back and forth and, you know, somebody might say, oh, I remember when such-and-such happened. Well, then now I'm on the Internet, I'm Googling, you know what happened in desire da 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 da, and you'd be surprised the articles that come up and Of course, you know, being a genealogist, I have paid subscriptions to a lot of the newspapers and and of course, some of it is not online, so you actually have to go to these repositories and actually pull these records and that type and To give you an example, there's a lot of stuff out there, but it's all over the place, and of course, mm-hmm. that takes time and effort, <laughs> but you know yes. about that being a genealogist oh, yes. yourself.
0: Absolutely. And so, Leonard, when exactly is the Kickstarter campaign? Tell people about that.
1: Okay, the Kickstarter will launch October 1st. It's going to run for 30 days. And the goal is to raise 25000 to cover those costs, like I mentioned before, about archival footage and, and images and also to um, any newspaper articles um, and music yeah of course, you gotta have music, good music to support a documentary, and so at this stage, I don't know where the music will come from. um, I do have a piece that I'm using in the trailer, but you know of course, that costs as well and then, what I'm also doing is that, as people pledge different levels, there are perks that come along with your pledges, you know, like of course, there's a t shirt everybody has a t shirt um there will be a a poster. Uh, and then we'll also have VIP tickets for the premieres and that type stuff. And that's all based on what level of pledge that you give.
0: Okay. And then where can people find out about the uh, campaign?
1: Okay. Uh, we actually have a website up. It's called a place called com, And that will be the, the focal point of where everybody can go, um, the kick. Our campaign will be on page one as soon as it's, it's uh, official October 1st uh, I also have on that website some of the interviews just clips not the full interviews but clips of the the people that we've interviewed and and some of them tell a little interesting stories of course I'm keeping the best for last which will go in the documentary um, but some of the clips um, of the same people but um, you know, they might make a little statement, like I, I'm about to post a the 96-year-old um, <laughs> uh, elder that we have from the community, and, and some of the statements that she make uh, make you really think, you know, and, and, and we have fun. You know, that's the other part of that is that, you know, when I interview people, I like to just have a conversation with them. I don't want them to be, um, you know, afraid of the camera and that type, so we, you know, we laugh, and You know, we've even had people cry. You know, that's all part of it. You know, because the documentary of this nature is emotional at times because you're going to remember the good times, especially if you lived it. But also people who didn't live in the community will also appreciate it because it shows, you know, people with resistance to, you know, struggles. You know, people will be inspired to do, you know, other things because in spite of all what they had to deal with, they still succeeded, and that's what the story really tells. The people who lived in the community who had the struggles, and there was a lot of struggles, but in spite of that, we still was able to succeed.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Well, if individuals would like to uh, contact you, how how would they do that?
1: Okay, they can reach me by phone. My office number is 337-453-4684. Uh, they can reach Would me Would you say by that email. again?
0: Three three seven sure. four five three <laughs> four
1: six eight four.
0: Okay, four, And six, They can eight, also four. reach
1: me by email and my email is info at a dot com.
0: Okay. Info a place called dot com. Okay mm-hmm. everyone and please uh continue to look at this project. As a prototype for those of you that may want to do something similar now, tell us what your goal is, so we could know just what needs to happen here because this is a Kickstarter, and we want to see this documentary become a reality
1: okay well the the first phase, which is this phase we're in like I can say we're in development stage, and of course, in production is next and then post production but we're we're finishing up. Uh, and the development actually covers a lot of the research that we have to um, do as well so i've i 've done interviews and i 'm kind of like on a hold with interviews for now um because i 'm now looking for supporting images or supporting footage or um, supporting maps or whatever um so at that stage this is i 'm in the research stage right now, and so the twenty five thousand that we actually of course if we get more, that would be great because that will move us into the production stage, and that's the where well, we start putting all the pieces together. But as I grab interviews and that type, I'm editing as I go along because, you know, I don't want to, at the end, have all this to do because my launch date, and this, this is a very aggressive launch date, is hopefully the beginning of um, um, next year. It will be February where we actually will see the documentary on the screen. And so Oh,
0: that's we, wonderful.
1: Yeah, so it's that's very aggressive though. Let me let me say that again. And so if I can get the supporting from all the interviews that I've had, um and you know, I I have writers, you know, of course there's people behind the scenes, not just myself, that's doing writing. I have, you know, people who lived in the community that's also telling the story, they're writing uh articles for the website. Um, and then there's people who proof what I write because I always got to have my stuff proof. I just like to <laughs> put my thoughts on paper and hopefully somebody can. And I have, you know, I have a, a team of people that do that. And 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 my two sisters and, and my brother and, and and of course my daughter and wife um, who who actually always help when when I have a new project. But anyway, um, that's why phase one is important because this is where you start getting all the pieces together for the story. And, of course, in the production mode, the next phase is when we start crafting the story to make it mean something, you know, to not just us who live there but other folks. Because, you know, if we just fill the auditorium with people uh, who live there, then it's not going to be the same dramatic uh, effect that we want to reach a lot of people out there who may have been through the same trials and tribulations but in spite of that have been able to move on.
0: That's right. And remember, this is a New Orleans story. It's a community story. It's a family story. And so as many people as possible should be in here supporting this story, this documentary. And so, Leonard, I want to just thank you so much. You have taken the initiative. That's all we need is one person, two people, to take the initiative to document what's happening in the community so that that story is not lost, and that is what a place called desire will be, a story that's not lost. So thank you so much for coming on, Leonard. I look forward to just hearing more about the project and reading what you're placing on Facebook and also looking at the the trailer when it comes out. So any parting words before we end today's show?
1: Well, first I want to definitely thank you again for having me on the show and Letting me announce the the Kickstarter campaign, uh, which is most important, and you know I, I just want to tell the story of you know people like I say who the voiceless, who, who normally doesn't have a voice to, to to go out there and say, okay, this is what I did or whatever, and you know it's not a not about bragging anything, but it's just to say that you know it's, if if I could do it, you can do it. That that same you know everybody has that mentality that you know, it'd be great if whatever you do, that you put forth enough effort to get it done. And so right. it's a great story. Desire is a great story. It was a great community. We want to see it come back, rebound. There's a lot of movement there. But then, of course, there's other issues that have to be addressed as well. And that, that would definitely take a couple of hours. But <laughs> but anyway, okay. uh, but I, we want to definitely, uh, again, thank you, and, and, and hopefully we get all the support we need to get this uh, into the big screen.
0: Okay, thank you so much. And everyone, I just want you to know your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, community records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. Please tune in on Thursday for my show on DNA. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Have a great day, everyone. Goodbye, Leonard.
1: Bye bye.